is the AFL Show, part of the Mojo Sports Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Mojo Sports AFL Show. I'm your host, Callum Dunk, and thank you so much for tuning in to tonight's episode. Joining me on the panel is Ash. Ash, how are you, mate? Pretty good. The winning streak for Carlton continues, so I can't complain. Yes, and uh, unfortunately this week, coming onto the field as substitute is uh, Nathan. Nathan, welcome back, mate. Thank you, boys, and uh, crow season alive, so I'm a happy man at the moment. Yeah, uh, I don't feel like I'm going to be very friendly with you tonight, but um, I'm sure it will lead to some some good banter. Um, some very interesting results in this weekend's round of footy. All started on Friday night with Carlton getting up over the old enemy in Collingwood by 17 points. Fremantle managed to get two wins in a row at Skilled Stadium or GMHBA Stadium down in Geelong. Uh, the GWS Giants win seven in a row to surprise the Western Bulldogs. Uh, probably the biggest surprise of the round in my book would be Gold Coast uh, giving Brisbane a pretty decent pumping at uh, Heritage Bank Stadium. The Swans just hang on to get over Essendon by two points. The other big result from, from the round, which was the Adelaide Crows getting up over Port Adelaide by 47 points, and that will lead into tonight's hot topic. The Sunday game saw St Kilda kick nine goals in the first quarter and eventually run out 29-point winners over the, uh, the Hawks. Uh, Richmond put up a pretty decent fight against the Demons, but the Demons won out by 32 points in the end. And the final game of the round, West Coast had a five-goal lead. North, Ma- North Melbourne came back pressing and pressing, but West Coast was able to hang on and win by five points. Uh, boys, obviously with the showdown this weekend, the hot topic was... Uh, the lack of concussion testing, I suppose, done by my club, Port Adelaide, um, to with a pretty nasty head clash between Aaliyah Aaliyah and Lockie Jones. Now, both of those players have had follow-up scans and follow-up testing since that game, and they have been placed in the concussion protocol. So neither of those two will be uh, heading down to the Cattery this week to take on Geelong. Um Immediately as the clash happened on Saturday night, I was just in immediate thinking, oh, these two are both out, they're both concussed. Um, you know, it's it's a shit situation, but it's the way it is. Um, and the fact that Aaliyah Aaliyah came back onto the field in five minutes was pretty shocking. Um, I thought as watching the broadcast that the players had to do um, 20 minutes um, to get through the, the proper protocols before being either ruled out with concussion or allowed to return to the field. Uh, club doctor Mark Fisher has been there for a number of years, a significant number of years. Um, but, yeah, I think he's obviously just made a, a mistake on this one. And I don't, whether there's anything more to it than just a misdiagnosis is one thing, but... Uh, Damien Barrett reported on Footy Classified last night that there's going to be some pretty significant sanctions for Port Adelaide, and 
Um, you know, the worst part is it's probably going to cost someone their job because that money's going to come out of the soft cap. And we've already talked about the soft cap this year uh, being so restricted as it is. Um, I've heard murmurings, obviously take this with a grain of salt, that they're looking at fines between fifty to 100000 for that particular incident. Whether there's any merit to that, who knows, but I would probably suggest that we take that one with a grain of salt until um, the investigation is complete and the findings, findings I should say, are concluded. Uh, Nath, you are obviously a Crows man. You were watching on Saturday night. What were your thoughts about the whole concussion incident? Yeah, look, I think, you know, despite who I support, it was a pretty horrific thing to watch on the TV. Um, you know, obviously... At the forefront of our game is the health and welfare of the players. And, you know, it was quite hard to watch seeing both players, you know, quite possibly knocked out um, and taken from the field. And I, I think the concerning thing for me now is the protocols that they go through have sort of been put under scrutiny now. You've obviously got the HIA, which is the visual assessment of whether or not the players need to be assessed for concussion. And obviously, you know, they, they clash heads and only one gets assessed for concussion is probably concerning in itself, let alone the fact that um, Lockie Jones passes a concussion test um, at the time and gets subbed out with a migraine is a little bit confusing to me as well. But I, I think ultimately the, the right outcome was met with both players being put in the concussion protocols. I think that's where they belong immediately following that impact. And I think, as you said, Callum, you watch that contest and my first thought was, you know, they're both done for the game, you know. The other part that frustrates me a little bit, not necessarily, frustrates the wrong word, but this is now the second time this has happened with Port Adelaide. You go back to last year and uh, there was a collision between uh, Tom Jonas and uh, Zach Butters last year where, again, a clash of heads between two teammates and they, they both, you know, past concussion tests or whatever it might be and played out the game. And the fact this is the second time in a short period of, of time that it's happened to the club is, is probably something else that the AFL has to look into considering that was also investigated and looked into as well. But, you, you know, we, we're taking such care for the head in regards to sling tackles and suspensions and whatnot. And then we sort of take steps backwards in regards to how this was treated. I think that's probably the most disappointing thing from my perspective. But, again, as I said, the right result, you know, eventually with them both being put in the production protocols now. Ash, do you have anything further to add um, to what Nathan's just said there? No, I think you boys covered it uh, pretty well in depth. Um, yeah, pretty pretty shocking incident, to be honest. And, um, yep. Yeah, um, the club's obviously acknowledged that they've made a mistake and they've tried to get on the front foot here um, with the, the news stories, I suppose, that have been printed at the moment, uh, things on the TV here in Adelaide. Um, and yeah, as you said, Nathan, it's the right decision that both the players, uh, have been placed into the proper po- protocols, but, um, it does lead to, um, a problem with Port Adelaide's backline, the lack of depth, I suppose, in their backline as they do head to <laughs> this week. Um, I speak, I suppose the only thing that's going to help them in this regard is the fact that Tom Hawkins has probably, sustained a hamstring injury that will take him probably one to two weeks, I would suspect. 
Um, and I suppose Blitzarves isn't playing as well. So if they wanted to try and throw him forward to to cover that, he's also out with probably a four to five week hamstring injury. Mark Blitzarves are very similar to the the Isaac Rankin one from what I've been hearing um, on the news and from reporters. So um, let's talk about Port Adelaide. They had a really good opportunity to sew up a top two finish with Brisbane um, losing to Gold Coast. And we'll touch on that game a little bit later. Um, It was a pretty insipid performance from Port um, and everyone thought the showdown at the start of the year was enough to walk Ken out the door. Well, at least that's what Warren Treadray thinks. I think this one's actually genuinely worse. They did not come to play at all. There's talk about um, a flu sort of virus going around the club in the, in the few days in the lead up to the the showdown. But um, once you cross the white line, there's no excuses in my book. You're either fit or you're not. Um, And, you know, I've been pretty bullish about my club and where they can go this year, but uh, I was just so frustrated watching them on the weekend and um, you know what made it worse switching to the cricket and seeing uh pat cummins captaincy tactics uh that that will that almost made my night even worse so um ash are you concerned about port adelaide's run of form it's three losses in a row do you think they can still get top two um, and do you think the fact that brisbane have had a few slip-ups throughout the year has really helped them perceived to be better than what they are? Oh, look, I think it would be a, a massive sort of fall from grace for, for, for Port if they weren't to finish in that top two. Um, obviously, they've gone from a massive winning streak to a losing streak that's now starting to build up. I am confident that they can sort of keep that top two spot, even though Brisbane, you know, have a few sort of easy games against Frio and Crows, neither Richard sort of, too easy, and Melbourne as well have a few wins which they can bank. So I still think that Paul can finish top two. I think the real sort of uh, storyline from this game is the credit that needs to go to Adelaide. I think um, the, the the big difference for me is that that game was one forward of centre. Um, just the class um, from the um, the Adelaide mids and, and forwards and, and just the cohesion between those lines um, that – Adelaide went at an efficiency of 57%, I believe it was, um, for a score per inside 50, which is some of the highest numbers we've seen all year, whereas uh, Port were about 20% less. Um, combine that with, you know, goal kicking and Tex kicking six. Um, you have guys like Matt Crouch, who's sort of come out of nowhere, has become a real role player for the Crows. Um, Jordan Dawson, obviously great. Rory Laird was decent. Wayne Miller was sort of... Not a massive name, but he played pretty well. So, yeah, I was really impressed with the Crows. And who knows if they make finals this year, but they've got a really bright future ahead. Lots of talent on that list. Absolutely. And, um, you know, as much as I want to whack my own club, I do need to concede that the Crows did play really well. Um, I thought Tex was sensational with his uh, seven goals. Um, Maybe Aaliyah should have been placed in the concussion protocols. to get a different matchup, but um, yeah, it was just a sensational performance and everything that 
the Crows sort of touch turned to gold in that game. Um, it was a complete four-quarter performance. Um, it's just a shame with some of the injuries that they've sustained to their their key backs and a couple of their small forwards. But uh, I really think next year is the year for the Crows. I just think with the the injury depth that they've got, particularly in the back half, um, that's going to certainly hamper them for the rest of the year. But um, lots of and, you know, they've got lots of salary cap room as well. Um, they went pretty hard after Mason Redmond and they didn't get him. Um, they tried their best, but, um, you know, plenty of sal- salary cap room that they could use this year or any potential free agents for next year they could throw uh, some good coin at. Nathan, I'm sure you're wanting to talk about everything Crows related, rub it into... Rub it, rub the salt into the my wounds. Um, how did you how did you see the game? Probably starting from a Port Adelaide perspective first. I'm probably not as concerned. You know, you look at that three game losing streak that now on. They kind of you know tossed in that Carlton game. No offense, Ash. You know, they rested seven of their their best twenty two and. Um, you know, despite being able to play, you know, Marvel well, um, you know, they sort of conceded that one. They then ran Collingwood, who's the best team in the competition, for two points, and you know, again had their chances to seal that game in the fourth quarter. Then I think Showdown was probably a byproduct of having to back up, you know, from a brutal clash that got pumped up like a final the week before against Collingwood and just sort of were flat. You know, the Crows sort of identified during the week that the showdown was a final for them and they had to win and stay alive. And I, I think when a team comes into a game with that mentality and you're not quite there from the start like Port Adelaide were, then I think it's quite hard to sort of try and find your way back into a game like that. And especially a home showdown, you saw Port Adelaide kick goals and the crowd was pretty much dead silent for the best part of it as well. And I think from a Crows perspective, you know, regardless of where their season ends, whether it ends with them, you know, breaking their finals drought or just missing out. A game like this is probably what is a little bit frustrating at times being a Crow supporter that, you know, you look at our results against the top four teams and we've, we've beaten three and three, no, uh, yeah, three and three against top four teams um, and our three losses are a cumulative of seven points across those three losses. And it shows that they're there or thereabouts against the good teams. But for whatever reason, you know, when it's a GWS or a Gold Coast or, you know, those middle-range teams that we're competing for final spots against, they can't quite get it done. And that comes down to a mentality thing. And obviously their, their struggles on the road have been both documented as well. And I think for a, a young developing team, that will come. Um, it's just a, it's just a, a matter of whether that development from the young kids will come while their senior players are still there providing that senior leadership that they've done so well this year. Your Dawson's, your Laird, your Walkers, your Sloan's um, to sort of mesh and mould and become a really well-rounded team. Um, They're on the right track, but, you know, as I said, regardless of where their season ends this year, I think they've taken a step forward. And as you sort of said, Ash, before, it's about now sort of, you know, building on that, especially, you know, given their backline is quite depleted, but you know, a fantastic four-quarter performance, as you mentioned before. And, you know, it, it's, it's always nice after 54 showdowns to be even in the ledger again and going into 2024 to hopefully take that lead in the showdown ledger. Yes. And let's move on to uh, Brisbane versus the Gold Coast. And um, unfortunately, the Q clashes in recent years have been pretty one-sided with Brisbane's uh 
dominance, I'd say, since 2018, 2019, when they started making the finals under Chris Fagan. Um, I tell you what, it was an electrifying performance from the Gold Coast Suns. Every time that Ben King touched the ball, it turned to gold. You can see the pieces of this team starting to come together for the Gold Coast. But whenever you think they're going to take that leap, something holds them back. And um, it was pretty, I thought it was always pretty harsh on Stuart Dew to, to get the flick at that point in time. But, you know, if a Damien Hardwick or, a, you know, potentially a Josh Carr or, or if even Stephen King, you know, took that group forward, you know, you'd be excited about the puzzle pieces that you do have. It's just about trying to find the right way to put them all together, if that makes sense. Um, You know, you've got an an elite key defender in in Sam Collins who's played 100 games now of AFL footy. You've got the midfield, Rao, Anderson, Brandon Ellis on a wing plays a, a really good role for that team. And you've got some really good forwards as well. It's just probably finding um, some extra depth in, in the list. And I suppose the the bottom six to eight players in the, in the best 22, just making sure that you're doing everything you can to get those guys really consistent. But yeah, Brisbane just got beat up around the ball. Um, and we don't say that too often considering that they've got Neil, and Dunkley in there, you know, Zorko obviously runs through the midfield every now and then. Um, But are we seeing, I suppose, the first signs of missing Will Ashcroft um, after, unfortunately, he did did his ACL? Um, How did you see that performance up at Metricon? Sorry, Heritage Bank Stadium now. Uh, Ash, how did you see the, the the positivity from the Suns, but also um, some potentially concerning signs from Brisbane. Yeah, um, I think as you mentioned, Callum, that game, um, the Suns just beat up Brisbane around the middle. Uh, and when you look at it on paper, Gold Coast don't have the flashiest names, but they have a a lot of role players around that team, um, and I think. It's definitely a very enticing list for anyone who wants that coaching job. But at this stage, it's, you know, the proof is in the pudding. We can talk all we want about Gold Coast, but until they start putting wins on the board at a consistent level, um, that's when sort of, it's it's a bit like Carlton. Show me before I sort of, you know, get get my hopes up. And I, and I love Gold Coast. It's like I like GWS, all these expansion teams. I hope they do well. But yeah, now, you know, win. That's what's going to happen. It's going to win. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Any further thoughts to add to that one, Nathan? Yeah, probably. I think there were three key factors for me in this game. I think two were coaching masterstrokes by the Gold Coast coaching staff. One was um, Tuke Miller to Lockie Neal. I think, you know, Lockie Neal was very much in Brownlow form um, of years past like he has been. And, um you know, he had four clearances for the game, which is well down on his season average and well down on the on the number, which is nine, which is the, almost the barometer for whether Brisbane win or lose a game. So I think, you know, shutting down Lockie Neal, who was their sort of that 
that engine around the contest and clearance was a big step in winning the game. I think factor two was, um, you know, Ben King has obviously struggled for form over the last month, not kicking a goal. And the, the, the instructions seemed quite clear to go and, and almost forward mark um, Harris Andrews, who over the last month or so has really found some great form in his contested intercept marking. And Harris Andrews has six marks, all of which were uncontested, you know, which for him is, you know, really unlike him. He's a, he, he, intercepting contest marking, and I think Ben King did a fantastic job on him. And I think the third factor is, again, Brisbane away from the Gabba. Now, we laugh and joke, and Gold Coast is only one hour or so down the road from Brisbane. But, again, we're seeing these trends where Brisbane cannot win games away from the Gabba. Now, we all know that, you know, to win a premiership, you have to win away from Brisbane. You have to win at the MCD. And this is, again, just another example of whether or not we can trust Brisbane at the pointy end of the season and in a final, especially when they have to win on the game on the game on the road. So, look, you know, I, I think, you know, I'm too unsure about where I see Brisbane. And I also don't think that Will Ashcroft being out is the sole reason for this. But I definitely think that he will be missed in that midfield and the role that he did play in his first season as well. So that does have to sort of be um, noted and considered when we do talk about Brisbane as well. Yeah, I think he's going to be a really big loss and uh, hopefully for for Ashcroft it's a a speedy recovery. But um, just something really good from the weekend. Um, I thought GWS getting their seventh win in a row, travelling to Mars Stadium at, at Ballarat, um, getting the win there. I thought it was just a great confidence booster for the club. And if they play with this type of ferocity, um, we know that they've got class around the ball. Cogs is a, has been electric this year, particularly if you've got him in AFL Fantasy in your forward lines. Uh, Josh Kelly is just silk and, and smooth with the ball. Lockie Whitfield, we know, has always been a good ball user, but when you've got a all-Australian calibre defender in Sam Taylor, um, he's just been sensational the last two years, and I don't think he gets the recognition that he deserves. If he was in Melbourne, um, you know, he'd be up there, you know, with your, with your Stephen Mays. Um, he does get highlighted quite well, but I just think the enthusiasm around this player would be so much more if he was to play for a Victorian club. Um, And there are so many clubs that are crying out for a key defender at the moment, but I know GWS won't let him go anywhere. Um, Toby Green continues to lead this team extremely well. Um, He's got the jump on my back mantra, the, you you know, jump on my shoulders, I'll lead. Um, sort of mentality. So, yeah, GWS is just a great a great story. Um, I know Ash Ash would probably want to talk about Carlton. I'm actually not going to talk about Carlton. In fact, no, I will. I'll I'll, I'll, t- I'll touch on it. Um, I've talked enough about Carlton. I have a, a different thing I want to talk about, but um, I, I never. I sort of touched on it. Um, as Nathan said, cryptically in the group chat, but had a bit of an interesting experience on Friday night. I was planning on going to the game. By the way, I don't think I've ever mentioned this, but I sneak into all the games, um, which I go to. I haven't paid for a ticket in over two years, but that's not the point of the story. So I sneak into the, to my games. Um, anyway, I, I was going to the game, planning to sneak in. I was on the train 
not running late, but I was sort of pressed for time. All of a sudden, the trains stop, and I thought that someone had sort of jumped in front of a train. This has happened to me in person a few times before, but it was oil protesters who were on the tracks. Anyway, they weren't uh, letting trains run. Big delays everywhere. I thought, even if I take an Uber or anything, I'm not going to make it to the ground on time. So I'd rather watch the start of it at like a bar or someplace because I didn't have tickets anywhere. I was going to sneak in. Rather watch it on the TV in a bar or something like that nearby. Anyway, at the station which I was stopped at, because like it stopped, I was on the train already moving. We stopped when the protest and seen. I was in the middle of nowhere. I get off at the station. There are no bars or anything nearby. Check on my phone. Can't find anything. Anyway. The only I was trying to find any place where I could find a TV to watch the game, and the closest place which, which I could find the only place with the TV was a laundromat. So I watched the Carlton vs Collingwood clash with eighty six thousand at the G at a laundromat. In the second half, a bunch of junkies came in. We were watching the game together. I was explaining the rules of footy to them. Um, we were singing the Carlton song together after we won. Coincidentally, they went for Collingwood, which, you know, not a surprise considering a few of the stereotypes there. But, yeah, that's just a little side note I wanted to add about my experience. Uh, how I was meant to be at the G with almost 90,000 people and instead watched it in a laundromat at a random place. How do you like that story? So absurd. <laughs> That's too good. Um, Nathan, what did you like from the weekend while I just continuously laugh in the background, mate? Um, I probably like Melbourne. Um, you know, I think a lot of people have questioned uh, Melbourne's legitimacy this year. Um, they've had a few struggles, a few injuries. Their backline's held up throughout the year, but Clayton Oliver sort of left a little bit of a, a hole in their midfield. Christian Petrarch has sort of been trialled as a you know, pseudo forward who can, you know, or a, or a, a striker, they call him a Dustin Martin type where they can roll forward and kick goals. But I think, you know, over the last couple of weeks, we've sort of seen Max Gorn now unlocked as the All-Australian Ruckman that we know him as, obviously Brody Grundy now in a precarious position where he finds himself on the outer. Harrison Petty, you know, swinging forward and kicking six goals. Van Royen, uh, another four as well on the weekend. And, I think Melbourne for me are now these massive smokies that have found the combination they've been looking for all year and they've trolled the Gorn Grundy um, and it hasn't worked. They've dropped Grundy now and I think with Oliver to come back and, and Bally Fritch to come back into that forward line as well, um, I, I think we saw just what Melbourne are capable of on the on the weekend. Um and it's weird to say that an all-Australian ruckman like Brody Grundy won't be playing in the AFL again this year because he's obviously a great ruckman, but this is also now the second team that almost to an extent doesn't want him. Um, I'm impressed with what Melbourne are putting forward and, you know, I can really see them shaking up September if they can, you know, continue on with this sort of combination, especially the forward combination they've found in the last um in the last couple of weeks. I'm not sure what you guys think, but yeah, Melbourne for me are looking good. I've always been always been intrigued by what Melbourne do. Um I always thought it was an interesting move to go and get Brody Grundy, considering you already had the best ruckman in the comp. 
And I know it was sold to Brody Grundy as we're going to do this so that you can extend both of your careers and Max is willing to play as the forward. Um, and I know it's been very heavily touched on by other commentators in media. Um, Matthew Lloyd was pretty critical about it. Um, I think he has to move at the end of the year. I genuinely think he has to move. And I know my club needs a ruckman. Um, Scooter's Scooter Scott Lysette has been a pretty like pretty serviceable uh, ruckman for for Port, and we've seen how much he's been missed when he hasn't played. But Scooter is thirty, Brody Grundy twenty eight. You know, if they could get another four years out of Brody Grundy um, to the end of his career and get Melbourne to pay a bit of his salary, like I'd Port, I know Port are firmly in the race now, and they're getting in his ear, but. Um, yeah, it's just more. Uh, it's, it's, I know we haven't talked about the whole Grundy situation as a group because we've been working and you know overseas the last you know month or so. But um, I just don't think he gets back in um, unless there is a significant injury to one of those um, guys that we mentioned in Petty. Van Royen and Gorn, obviously the main one. I don't think he gets back in. Ash, do you reckon he moves at the end of the year or do you reckon he requests a trade at the end of the year, whether it comes to fruition is a completely different story? Um, I reckon he probably will. I reckon it's more likely than unlikely, but who am I to know with, you know, no inside information. I think he is getting on in age a bit. So if you were to make that decision, it has to be sooner, sooner rather than later. But at the same time, to leave after one year at a club is sort of almost as bad as Jason Horn, Francis. But is it as bad as Jason Horn, Francis, when you've been sold a vision about what you're going to do and then almost get completely slapped in the flame? face and blindsided by the whole thing. I understand why Jason Horn Francis didn't want to be at North Melbourne. Do I think he probably should have honoured his contract and seen out a year, particularly with a new coach? Yes. As much as I love having him in my team now, and I think he's going to be a future captain of my club, uh, I still think he probably should have seen out the two years at North Melbourne and um, given it a bit more of a go. But, when you are in the prime of your career and you're getting paid around the $900,000 mark to play VFL forward, I think I'm looking for a new club personally. What do you think, Nathan? Brody Grundy is a ruckman and that's all he is. He's not a forward. Um, he's not a, you know, drop back behind the ball and play as a, a defender and whatever else I've tried. He made his name in the AFL as an All-Australian Ruckman and Melbourne have a, <laughs> a great Ruckman in Gorn and, you know, this doesn't work. Grundy's 29. He's still probably got another three or four years of good football left in him. Um, and, and as you said, like, he's too good and too well pay- paid to be playing VFL football. Um, so he leaves, 
where he goes, I hope he doesn't go to Port Adelaide. Uh, <laughs> but he has to he has to leave. He's too good. He's getting paid too much. And if he wants to play the role that I think deep down he and all of us know he wants to play, which is Ruck, he, he can't stay. Sorry, just continuing on the Brody Grundy topic. I'm very interested to know how the whole pay thing would work in this type of deal um, because we know that Collingwood is paying somewhere between 200 to 250 of his wage every year, very similar to what they're doing for Adam Trelaw at the Western Bulldogs. But on the trade table, what's he worth? Pretend that Port take all of his salary for some Instance, and I know the pick could vary depending on how much a club would be willing to pay of his contract. But Port's got salary cap room, and let's say they take all of it. What's he actually worth in terms of a pick? Is, is it outrageous to say that he's a, he's worth a first rounder? And the reason I say that is because if we think about Brody Grundy as a player, and we remove this year. Uh, where he's been dual rucking with Gorn, and you remove last year where he was injured for the for pretty much the whole season. Before that, we were saying he's a top two ruckman in the league and a commodity. So, what's changed in that period for him to not be seen as the same player? I think he's definitely worth the first round if he was to go. Um, rucks. Tools in general, but in particular, rucks sort of uh, are quite rare, especially when you consider them ready-made. So I would be trading a first-round pick for the Grundy contract aside. Um, yeah, in a heartbeat, if I was a club desperately needing Ruckman. So you're telling me if Port pays all 900000 they still give a first-round pick for him? No. If he was sort of... If you were starting the the contract from the side, that the, the money, you know, put put the money away, but just to get the the player across with with, with the money, I think it, I think the pick you trade with the contract comes down to how much of the contract is paid, which isn't really sort of for us to decide. It's however much the the team taking on that contract wants to pay, and then through that they can decide what what the pick will be. So I think it varies. Yeah. And I'm I'm sure we'll have many more discussions about this in the lead up to uh, the trade period. And I assume we'll probably do some trade period um, shows even once the season ends because it's just fun to talk about. So, um, boys, I want to talk about North Melbourne um, and the West Coast clash on Sunday evening. It was... Interesting to watch because it was basically two teams being as low as you possibly could imagine. Um, But I found myself excited to watch it just because I was curious about what was going to happen. And uh, West Coast snapper 17, 18 game losing streak now. Um, They both, actually both of these teams won in round two. So, you know, West Coast break their their hoodoo. North Melbourne, unfortunately, continue on their poor run of form. Now, I don't anticipate either of these teams are going to win a ga- another game before the end of the year. Um, but West Coast percentage is so bad that 
I don't think they'll be able to leapfrog North Melbourne in any way unless they pull off a miraculous win that would give you ridiculous odds on sport on sports bet. Um, but it's pretty bad for North Melbourne. I just went into this game thinking, like, North Melbourne have been competitive in a fair few games. Obviously, there's been some blowouts, and that happens with a young team. But even that game against St Kilda, they were really competitive. Um, and to go over and, I suppose, have that expectation and not come to the party, really. Like, they had, they suffered two separate five-goal, um, you know, margins, but were able to, to rein it back in. But... Yeah, it's just for North Melbourne, it's just like the one that gets away again and again. And you can see the signs as we talked about. And, you know, we've had our cracks at North Melbourne this year, but we've also seen the positives. Same with Hawthorne when they've done the right thing. The only team that we fully bagged all year has been West Coast um, on this podcast, unfortunately. Nathan, like, I know Alistair Clarkson's coming back this week, but... Is it even worth him coming back at this point or is he better off spending some additional time in the, I suppose, the recruiting department trying to look at which, you know, young kids are out of contract, uh, other clubs that could come and make the list better or, you know, start doing some draft scouts, scouting because they'll probably end up getting picks two and three depending on what happens with Ben McKay as well? Look, I, I definitely think there's value in Alistair Clarkson. Um you know, coming back and coaching out the last month of the season, you know, the whole playing group was sold this dream of having, you know, the great one, Alistair Clarkson at the helm and sort of, you know, getting the club back to, you know, where it should be, which is, you know, a relevant and competitive franchise within the within the AFL. And I think it's a disservice to uh, not just the young kids, but the, the, the mid-age recruits they've picked up as well to have him there guiding them um, towards, you know, being a formidable force again. Uh, from a recruiting perspective, I, I, I think now North Melbourne are past the point of, you know, more young kids walking in the door. This team doesn't need any more young kids. They're full of them. They need mature-aged, body, like, you know, experienced players that can, like, like a, you know... Jack Zebel's obviously retiring, but they need they don't need kids. They've got plenty of them. They need experience now, and that's obviously going to come in two forms. It's going to be one, getting games into the kids, but two, having players that have been there and done that, um, you know, for seasons and seasons and seasons into the into the club. But they're also not able to attract them. They're also losing players. Ben Mackay wants to leave based on France's left. So it's almost like there needs to be an internal and external cultural shift for the club as well before they can see some sort of a shift because to attract players to your club, you need to become a destination and they're not that right now. Um, and until they are, they're going to continue to recycle these kids that they continue to bring in, whether it's through the draft or the mid-season or whatever it might be. And, you know, there's talk about them getting a second, you know, pick from the AFL in the draft this year. But that's not going to sort their issues. That's just going to sort of sort of further prolong the scenario in which they find themselves in, I think. So it's quite dire for, for North at the moment, I think. But stability is what they need. Um, and I think Alison Clarkson coming back is step in the right direction at least for getting that stability back. 
Just touching on your thoughts about the priority pick or package or whatever you want to call it, um, I'm in favour of them getting some assistance from the AFL again. I think they need it. And I'd give it to West Coast too, to be perfectly honest, because West Coast pain is going to get worse. I'm still of the opinion that they must trade it for experienced players. They have to trade it as part of to get experience through the door because their backline next year is going to be properly decimated. And Ash, I'll get your thoughts on this in a second, but Makai is going. It is the worst kept secret in football. It's just a matter of where he wants to go and how much the contract is so that North Melbourne can get pick three probably. You've got Aiden Core on, what's this, his fourth year at North Melbourne on a contract that's worth 600000 The most overpaid player in the AFL, in my opinion, is Aiden Core. You've got Griffin Logue, who will be a good player, but he's just done an ACL. So he's gone again. So that's three key defenders plus Jack Zebel retiring. You know, if I was a club in the premiership window, I wouldn't hesitate to pick up the phone to Jack Zebel. I genuinely think he's still still got something to to offer. But, Ash, how do you see the, the troubles of North Melbourne? And just touching on that, they're, they're going to lose four key members of their defence properly for, you know, next year. Yeah, and uh, disappointing for them. It sucks to suck. I'm a Carlton supporter. I've been there, done that. Yeah, whether it's through the draft or through trains, just got to keep getting talent because they suck. Like they they lost to West Coast. Like that's that's bad. To be fair, GWS, I'm pretty sure in round two lost to West Coast as well, and now they're on the verge of playing finals. And last year, Collingwood lost to West Coast at Marvel, and then played off in a prelim final. I so. Maybe it's not all doom and gloom. History suggests otherwise. Let's flip the conversation to West Coast now. Um, What would West Coast do if they were able to receive some assistance from the AFL in terms of priority picks or something like that? How would they sort of go about it? And I know there's been a few, few retirements announced in the West. I believe Shannon Hearn agreed to to hang up the boots today and we'll get Nathan's opinion on this being the the Western Australian of the group. But um, what would you be doing if you're West Coast? Um, I'd be looking to trade any sort of senior players that have value, I think. Um, You know, you look at the West Coast list and, you know, everyone acts so surprised they won a game, but, you know, Kelly, Sheen, Hearn, Gaff, Yo, um, Duggan, you know, Darling. That they've they've got all these senior players there that for whatever reason just aren't performing. And, you know, I think they're the players that West Coast should look to cash in on. Um, they've got a very good core of young players coming through. Chessa, Hewitt, Jinby, Oscar Allen, you know, that the list goes on for them. I think now there's players on this list that still have enough value 
to a contending team to be traded, whether that's for more picks or for players or whatever it might be to move this club forward because we've said it all year, it is going to get worse for West Coast before it gets better because of their age demographic of their list. I think if they can try and shortcut that by trading some of those older players, offloading those contracts and getting value back for them now, then that will leave the club in a, a way better position than you know, being two years, three years down the track and crying poor to the AFL, um, searching for priority picks, considering, you know, West Coast are the biggest and richest club in the land um, and they're falling from grace. And I think for me, that's why I don't have sympathy for them because, you know, of the size and magnitude of the club and the assets and value they have and the fact they should be doing a lot better from not just an on-field perspective but an off-field management perspective as well. And I think they've really let down, you know, the supporter base, 100,000 strong supporter base they do have. I'll get back to you in a second, Nathan, but I just wanted to throw it to Ash. Ash, of the West Coast senior core group of players, which one has the most in terms of currency to a team that would be in the premiership window? If you just could have the pick of any of them, who would you go for and even suggest a club? Just for fun. Um, I reckon probably in terms of the senior players, maybe Jeremy McGovern. Um, That's who I was thinking as well, to be honest. Because there's, there's no one really else. Maybe Jack Darling. Um, so, yeah, I reckon it would probably – or even Tim Kelly. So I think you probably them three have the highest trade value. I'm not too sure exactly what club, though. In- interesting. And same question to yourself, Nathan. Uh, I'd probably throw Tom Barras in there. His name's already been thrown around as a trade option to potentially Sydney. Um, and then again, to piggyback on, you know, other news as well, but, you know, Liam Ryan as well. But he's probably one that I would look to keep. He's still young enough to want to keep at the club. Um but, yeah, I think Sydney will probably be a bit of a mover for potentially some of the West Coast defenders just because um, they are so light on, especially for key defenders at the moment, um, and especially with the trajectory of where they've been and where they continue to look to go and stay at the level that they are, I think. So I'd probably add those names as well. Yeah, I'd probably say, like, just Jeremy McGovern would be the big one. We think Tom Barras is going to go to Sydney and Sydney will probably have to cough up a top 10 pick for him. And I don't think Sydney will probably have any dramas doing that because they've got enough young talent on their list. And I think they've got a few players coming through the academy this year. I'm not too sure, but I believe that they'll probably look to, you know, just get the points that they need to, you know, accrue those players as required. Um, yeah, I'd probably be saying Jack Darling. Um, I was thinking like Melbourne for Jack Darling, depending on what happens with their forward line um, this year. Um, and I suppose even my own club again, like Port Adelaide with Jeremy McGovern, like just crying out for a key back. I know they're very heavily into Asava Radigalia, but 
Um, you know, just just some key depth in that area. Like Trent McKenzie's 31, 32 from memory. Tom Jonas will hang up the boots at the end of the year. So that's probably what I would be thinking at the moment. And oh, if you were a club in the in the premiership window and you'd be nuts not to at least have a look at Liam Ryan. But the strange thing with Liam Ryan was it's apparently the Hawks that are into the into him at the moment. So that's a very interesting one. Gentlemen, time to move into our AFL fantasy segment for the week. I'll start us off. I got uh, 24-65, which is an okay score. It's not amazing. Um, I went with Josh Dunkley as the captain. Uh, he got me 274. Notable scores. Uh, Cogs was 129. Zach Merritt, 140. Andy Brayshaw, 122. <clears throat> Excuse me, Brad Crouch, 133, uh, Jake Lloyd, 127. Um, I would have liked a few more tons from my team. Oh, sorry, and George, uh, Jordan Dawson, 134, I thought was pretty solid. Um, I've got some cash in my bank this week. I've got 127 cash, so I will be looking to do one upgrade, one downgrade. Um, I would really like to get James Warple up to someone um, a bit more higher up in the, the pricing. Um, what rookie that would be is probably to be determined. Um, Elijah Hewitt's starting to get some some good minutes for, for West Coast and scoring a bit more. Um, so I'll look to keep him. It might be the week that I look to potentially move on uh, Jasper Fletcher. Um but, yeah, that's probably what I'm thinking at the moment. Uh, I'm not in the contention to get a hat, so it doesn't really matter at this point, other than trying to get the wood up on you blokes. Uh, uh, May 24-69, uh, a good score, sort of just held rank. Um, an awful inclusion and captaincy into my team, so I had traded in. Marcus Bontempelli and looked for that instant reward of putting the captaincy on him. And he had his lowest score of the season, which sort of sums up my season as a fantasy captain. Uh, one player that I do want to shout out is Naziah Wanganeen Malira. Now, I've had him in my team for the last six weeks, I think, going at an ownership of 6.4%. He's one of the most uh, well performing players of difference in the competition, I think. And his role off the half-back line for uh, St Kilda is uh, one to behold. He uh, he wants the ball. He loves a cheeky mark and kick. And uh, I, I've enjoyed watching him while he's been in my team, along with probably the other seven St Kilda players I also have at the moment as well. This week, I'll probably look to get, uh, like you as well, Callum, a, a downgrade to get some money. And then I'll look to upgrade Ben Keys to Zach Merritt purely on a run perspective. He's got... West Coast and North Melbourne in the next two weeks, and I am sort of hoping that he'll be able to, you know, have a have a day out against those two teams, and we'll see what we can do from there. Ash, how did your Carlton team go on Friday in fantasy? Because it's uh, Carlton in your team, it's no one else. Yeah, my Carlton team was over about fifteen weeks ago, even more probably like 20 weeks ago. Um, this week I brought in Jack Steele and Luke Davies-Uniac for Adam Scherer 
and Tom Mitchell, I was $1,000 away from getting Kristen Petrarca in over Jack Steele, who was my first choice option. So that stinks, especially considering Melbourne have a pretty easy fixture with West Coast, uh, North Melbourne and Hawthorne, I believe it was, um, in the final three rounds. So that's disappointing, but who really cares? I, I spent about 30 seconds on my fantasy team every week, and uh, yeah. Yes, very good. Sucks right. to suck as my uh, <laughs> famous words. Yeah, you're on, you're on fire tonight, mate. Uh, let's quickly look at this weekend's round of matches, but the boys on Thursday night will look into those ones in more detail for you and talk about the teams and what to do with your fantasy teams. Friday night sees the dogs take on the Tigers. Um, the dogs will be looking to bounce back as they're holding on to eighth spot. Uh, Essendon and West Coast at Marvel, uh, the Crows and Suns at Adelaide Oval should be actually be quite an interesting game based on how they performed the last couple of weeks. MCG sees Hawthorne take on uh, uh, Collingwood. Saturday night sees Geelong take on Port Adelaide, which should be interesting. Key outs for both teams. The Battle of the Bridge on Saturday night as well. This should actually be a really good game as well. It's GWS versus Sydney. Sunday in the early game sees North Melbourne take on Melbourne at Bluntstone Arena, so down in Hobart. Uh, Then it's St Kilda and Carlton in the afternoon at Marvel. And to conclude the round, it is Fremantle and Brisbane um, at Optus Stadium. Uh, Probably the two games that I'm... Looking forward to the most would be the two Saturday night games, Geelong and Poor, um, and I think uh, GWS and the Swans um, should be a pretty interesting clash as well. Nathan? Um, I've probably got the two Sunday afternoon games, actually. Um, I'm intrigued to see what St Kilda do against Carlton at Marvel. Um, and I'm also interested to see how Brisbane respond, having to get on a plane, longest flight, um, that the AFL team will do across the Perth. Fremantle's found some form again, I think, so I'm intrigued to see how Brisbane bounce back. Interesting. And, Ash, lucky last before we finish up. What do you think I'm going to say? I don't know. Who's Carlton, mate? Carlton Saints. A big clash, potentially some top four ramifications. Who knows? I suppose, yeah, at this time of the year, it's important to look at the those kind of eight-point games. And um, Sydney lose this week, they're out. Um, I know Geelong has an easy-ish draw other than this week and multiple games at GMHBA Stadium as well. But, um, you know, that with the St Kilda and Carlton, um, that's going to be really interesting as well. And I think the loser of that game misses the eight. So um, that's probably what I'm thinking at the moment. But, gentlemen, thank you for joining me on a Tuesday night. It's uh, great that we're all back together again after weeks off with work and, and holidays. But um, we'll, we'll be back uh, this time next week to run you through round uh, 20 um, should, should be a really interesting weekend of footy. Nath, thanks for joining me, mate. 
Pleasure. And Ash, same to you as well. Khan the Blue Baggers. Yes. You got that one right. Thank you so much to those of you who are tuning in at home. Make sure you follow Mojo Sports AFL on Instagram for all of the updates relating to our podcast. Take care, everyone. Cheers.